0: So Joanne, we're thrilled today to have with us a good friend um, who we feel like we, we've worked actually in his ministry with him because we're, we're so close on stories and events and um Todd Nettleton is the announcer for Voice of the Martyrs broadcast, which is heard in over a thousand stations. Can you believe that? Yes.
1: And not just in the United States.
0: That's exactly right. And so for over 20 years, he's traveled to the most difficult places uh, on the face of the earth to meet with believers and to hear their stories. Uh, Believers that are under fire and they're under fire for one reason, one reason only because they have a great love for Jesus Christ. That's it. And um, so, Todd, I think that we um, we kind of speak the same language here. As, as some of these world events, you know, unfold, and most people think, "Oh my gosh, it's a horrible place. I don't want to go there." We feel drawn there, just because of the body of Christ mm-hmm. and how they um, inspire us with their joy. And um, we're we're just privileged that we've been on Voice of the Martyrs podcast with you and radio. And uh, sometimes we even get to be in the lineup with you at Voice of the Martyrs (laughs) uh, events at different churches. And with COVID, we haven't been able to do that for a while. I hope that comes back. I I hope so too. (laughs) I did too. So Anyway, Joanne, when we get to meet with Todd, it's just pure joy for us, oh isn't it? Oh my gosh,
1: it? yes, Todd, we love you. To us, you are the voice of the martyrs. I mean, you are the one <laughs> that we hear when we listen to the radio. Uh, we feel like we're so connected to you and to your team. And so it is a joy and an honor to have you with us today. As we talk about your exciting new book, but first we want to give you a chance to say hello, and then we'll talk about your book.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. I I still tell people when I grow up, I want to be Tom Doyle. So (laughs) uh, I I think of us as sort of in the same line of work, like you say, uh, meeting amazing followers of Christ Mm -hmm. in amazing places and then helping to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know the first time I read one of your books, Tom, I thought, this guy gets us, this this is, is, we're, we're in the same page here. We're, we're telling these stories. We want people to know what God is doing around the world. And so uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation.
0: Mm. We are too. We are too. Well, uh, talk about the book, which, uh, wow. Um, Speaking of
1: stories, um, you have just written a book, which by the way, here I'm going to hold it up so everybody can see it. When faith is forbidden, 40 days on the front lines with persecuted Christians. And Todd, you wrote this book. When did it come out?
2: Uh, It came out last year. So 2021. um, And actually was just recently named the Christian book award winner. So one of those. I was
1: going to say that. Congratulations.
2: I was pretty blown away by that. Pretty excited about that. Not, you know, awards are nice. You, you love to get awards, but to me the most important thing is more people are going to read these stories now because right. you know, somebody, if a book won an award, well, Hey, maybe I should pick it up and, and take a look at it. And that's so true. that's the exciting thing about the award is, Hey, maybe more people are going to read these stories because it won an award. That's
0: right. And And you know what, Todd, it's, it's all, all, it's totally up to God on that. When you think about today and how difficult the world is, that people would pick up a book and read about persecuted believers in places they've never been, it's miraculous. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're so thankful that it's done so well. And um, how did you get the idea to write the book where where faith is forbidden?
2: Well, like you say, we, we've had some of the same experiences, and so I assume that you've had this experience too. You come home from a trip, and you've just met you know, amazing saints of Christ, and you've heard amazing stories. And uh, somebody will say to you, and they've said it to me many times, man, I really wish I could go on a trip with you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you know, the places where we go, (laughs) you you might actually think twice about that. Um, But that was really the genesis of the idea of this book is what if you could go on a trip with me? Hey, actually, you can go on a trip with me. Let's go on a trip for 40 days. And it is written as 40 stories from persecuted Christians. And the idea is let's take a trip together for 40 days. Every day of that 40, we're going to meet a persecuted Christian. We're going to hear their story. and My promise to the reader, and honestly, I think it's God's promise to the reader, is on day 41, your faith is going to look a little different. Because if you spend 40 days hanging out with people who would rather die than give up their faith in Christ, would rather go to prison than give up their faith in Christ, your faith can't help but be impacted by that. It it can't help but be impacted by those experiences. And so... That's the exciting thing is to see people sort of at the end of that 40 day journey thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe I should be more bold in living mm-hmm. out my faith. Maybe there's people around me that need to hear the gospel yeah. and and I'm the one God is tell, is calling to tell them. That's the exciting thing, and uh, already you and you've you've had this experience too. You get letters from from readers, and uh, you know your this story impacted me. This was my favorite story, wow. my favorite letter so far. It came from a lady uh, back east somewhere, and she said, you know. Uh, I, I know I was supposed to read your book in 40 days, uh, but I read it. I, I think it was like, she said, seven hours and 13 minutes. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> she said, you know what? I couldn't wait till the next day to read the next story. So I just kept reading and kept reading and kept reading. And it was seven hours and 13 minutes later I was done. Um, so, that's the exciting thing as a writer and as a storyteller is, man, those, those stories are grabbing a hold of people. They do want to read on to the next one.
0: That's so true. And uh, Todd, we, Joanne, and I had the same experience when we first went to the Middle East and met a new believer, like from a Muslim background. I had to get out a legal pad. So this was in the nineties, you know, I wasn't Uh doing things on our phone. (laughs) Let me get all these facts straight because I I thought people would not believe this story as Mm -hmm. we told it in churches. They're going to go, what? It was so foreign to them. And so we'd write down every fact and okay, now say that again. I want to make sure we get this right. But uh, I love what you've done with the book layout, right? Mm -hmm. Oh
1: my gosh. that's I have to say one of my favorite parts of the book is that the goal that you're trying to reach and having people that read these stories, having their life transformed, you really make that a doable thing because you have several several different aspects included. First of all, one of the things you do is you give... Um, excerpts from your personal journal, you know, through the years, where you were, how God was speaking to you, where your struggles were, where your praises were, the transparency. So people see your heart as you're seeking to, you know, serve and love the people that God is crossing your path with. Then you have another section called for reflection. And that's when you personalize it and say, okay, so what about you, you know, taking that story and taking elements from that story and saying, now, how does this relate to you today, where you live, if you're in the west or wherever you live how does this challenge your thinking mm-hmm. so that you can be more like your brother or sister who you just read about then the next section you have of course is prayer praying and i love that prayer transcends time and so even though you wrote this you know whenever you wrote this and someone may pick up the book 10 years later that prayer is still fresh and yeah. alive it's As if you just prayed it for the reader who's picking up your book now Then you have a section with blank lines that that person, that reader, can write what their thoughts are, Mm -hmm. how God is speaking to them, how they've been inspired or challenged or encouraged, or uh, maybe, you know, some sin in their life has come into light that the Holy Spirit's illuminated and they need to repent of. So you make your book very interactive. Um, Not only are the stories inspiring, but it's super interactive for the reader. So, job well done.
2: Well, Thank you very very much. And I, part of the reason for the journal entries is so people know that that I'm like them, <laughs> like <laughs> like like there there are spiritual heroes in this book, but I'm not one of those spiritual <laughs> heroes. And so, one of the one of the things that kind of you know, cause I write about the, the trains and I write about the squatty potties and, and some of the things that if, if we were taking a trip together, we would probably talk about these things <laughs> like, Oh, that was the worst bathroom I've ever used in my That's life. Right. <laughs> and the editor oh, at one point he kind of pushed back a little bit on that. I was working Moody Publishers as a publisher, and and their design team did the layout, which is just amazing. They did such a great job. But at one point he kind of came back and, and pushed back a little bit. He's like, I don't I don't know that that's furthering your story. I don't know that you're okay. that that's really and I was like, <laughs> Nope. I, I want that in there. I want people yeah. to have that experience. I want them to know what it's like to travel to some of these places, and I want them to know that. Man, there's times I get really frustrated. <laughs> the, the, the 17th time that American Airlines says, oh, our flight's delayed 10 more minutes. Yeah. My head's about to explode. And, yeah. and it's like uh, I want people to have that experience and kind of feel that sense of the wonder of travel and and there's so much wonder, uh, mm-hmm. but also the kind of frustration and the, yeah. ooh, I don't know if I want to do that that part of travel as well mm-hmm. because this the whole idea is, hey,
1: we're going on a trip together. Yeah, that's right. And there's always a cost involved and uh-huh. sometimes the cost always say that travel is a refining experience and Amen. then when, <laughs> you, when you put it in the, um, in the template of a mission trip, oh my gosh, then you've got the spiritual warfare going on too and those arrows coming oh my against gosh. you. So not only is is it a refining experience it's a battle and our human flesh comes to the surface so often and we have found that it's just even in getting there that god begins yeah. working on our hearts <laughs> um shaving off some of those rough areas to prepare us to be vessels usable in his hands Amen. so yeah. i'm glad you put those parts so, in there well
2: me too and the other part you you mentioned the points for reflection and i really I wanted an American Christian who, let's face it, most of us, nobody's pointing a gun at us and saying, hey, do you love Jesus? And if you do, I'm going to shoot you. So as an American Christian, as a pretty comfortable Christian, what do I need to pull out of this story? What do I need to learn from this person that, that we've just met, that we've just had tea with and heard their story? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted it, I didn't want it to be preachy, like, you know, But I did want it to be hey, even though nobody's pointing a gun at you, we're still called to be bold in our faith, we're still called to make sacrifices to further Mm -hmm. the gospel. And so, bringing those lessons out and and putting them in a way that's uh that an American can pick them up and carry them with them that was really important to me, too. And I, I, it's not all me, there's the team here at VOM that really helped with. Uh, those lessons and helping to bring out those lessons, and so uh, I'm thankful for everybody that that helped make it so good. And mm-hmm. um, it, the like I say, the the letters that are coming in of wow, this really impacted me. Wow, that story. Wow, God really worked on me. Um, I love those letters. Those mm-hmm. those are precious to me to hear yeah, that yeah. that God is using something that I worked on to impact somebody's heart. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: it is so true, and you know. I'm sure you're like us after meeting with some of these saints on the front lines and hearing their stories at night, you're laying in bed, looking at the ceiling going, I, I cannot believe what they've endured for Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see this in the scriptures, but this is so um, mm-hmm. inspiring. This is life changing for me. And I I feel like a lot of times in churches when, when I was pastoring, we'd have missionaries come in and sometimes it kind of felt... Um, Uh, what's the word, a a guilt-ridden kind of Mm -hmm. sermon where look how much you have and look how little they have. And we always wanted to do something different. We felt, and you've done it in this book, the body of Christ will be inspired by their courage and their faith to stand on the front lines. I mean, some of these places that they live, they literally don't know if they're going to make it through the next day or not. They have no idea. And so um, that's what you've done. You brought the inspiration and you took us with you on a trip, and so I want to go into one of my favorite chapters, is on the missionary from Australia, uh, John Short, and it's called Patterns of Holiness. And this just this just rang uh, a bell with me because I think when we read these books, we think, well, I want to be like that, I want to live like that. That just didn't happen overnight. This is uh, th- these are uh, a foundation. This is foundation that he laid in his life to where. He was strong enough and and ready to go into, you know, the the danger. So I think it's inspirational. One of the reasons is that he's, when you wrote this, he was the ripe old age of 73. You know, <laughs> this is, most people are retired and on the beach, you know, collecting shells and that. He goes into one of the most dangerous countries in the world. And I was blown away about his personal life and how you, bring that application. So don't want to spoil it for the listeners. I think this is going to motivate them to, to get the book. So can time. you just tell John's story? Yeah. John short was
2: detained in North Korea. And like you say, he was 73 when he went there and he took some gospel tracks in with him printed in Korean um, really smuggled them in. And then as, as they were on a tour, you know, you, you can't just wander around in North Korea. You've always got a tour guide. You've always got a minder. Um, but he kind of mm-hmm. got a little bit away from his minder and left some of those gospel tracks. Well, uh, the authorities found them and the next morning, instead of taking him to the airport and putting him on a plane, uh, they took him into detention and began to ask him questions. Hey, where did you get those gospel tracts? Who translated those for you? Who printed those for you? How, why did you bring them in? What are you doing? And uh, thankfully, he was detained for about 13 days and then ultimately released uh, in part because he was old. And uh, the, the Korean culture, they recognize, they respect the elderly. And so that was part of the reason he was turned loose. But uh, I had the chance to interview him. And, and I love this I feel a certain sense of of personal excitement about this. John did two interviews after he was released. He did one with his hometown paper in Australia, and he did one with me for Voice of the Martyrs Radio. And so it wasn't a story that he had told everywhere, um, but he talked about it. And I interviewed separately his wife, Karen, who was at their home base in Hong Kong while he was detained. Um, She was, you know, managing all the press inquiries, managing all the people around the world who were, emailing and calling and saying, is John okay? Do you know anything? What's happening? When will he be home? And even uh, North Korean spies that were sent to their offices to see what they were doing, to see if Mm. what he described in his interrogation was matching what they saw on the ground. And it did. He he was being honest. And so I, I think that also helped his case. But one of the things that they both said, and again, I interviewed them separately, is that Uh, Every day for their whole married life, they have read a chapter of the gospel of John and a chapter of Proverbs. Uh, On the first day of the month, it's the first chapter, second day, the second chapter, and so forth. And and so she talked about the fact that I knew if John had his Bible, I knew what he would be reading because, you know, our whole married life, this is what we've done. I had my Bible. So I was reading those very same passages. Uh, And she said, even though they were not allowed any contact, he wasn't allowed to call her or, or have any contact with her. Even though that was true, they were connected because they were reading the same passages of the Bible while he was detained there. And they both talked about that separately, like, like they could feel this sense of connection. They could feel that they were on the same page because they knew, you know, she's reading this. I'm reading this. We're reading the same passage. We're connected spiritually through through the scriptures, through the gospel. Um, and, and so it was a pretty amazing and and also for me convicting— Like, can my family know that I'm going to be in the scriptures because it's, you know, six o'clock in the morning? Or can they know, oh, you know, today is July the 14th? He's going to be reading John chapter 14 and Proverbs chapter 14. Um, That was very convicting to me to have those patterns set. And it honestly, reminded me of the prophet Daniel and you know how are we going to get Daniel in trouble well we know that he prays every day beside his open window mm-hmm. so if we want to make trouble let's let's somehow connect it to his prayer because we yeah. know he's going to be praying right that was the kind of thing that that John and Karen had as well is we know this is what he's going to be reading in the scriptures because he's done it every day for so long.
0: Mm, mm. Even though they weren't speaking words together, they had the spoken word of God and they were completely connected. And Todd, you know, so many people when they go into a country, they're actually hiding their Bible in their suitcase. I love this. (laughs) You put it on top. And so it'd be the first thing they would find, like you said, total honesty. But I love what he said. If I can't take my Bible in, I don't go in. You'll have to cancel my visit because I'm a Christian. I read the Bible every day. I need this with me. And I thought, not only does that elevate the word of God in their eyes, that shows them something because they live in a culture that hides everything. They're all afraid of getting yeah. turned in, you know, even the way they dealt with him. They could lose their life if they don't, you know, answer or ask the right questions. But he, he purposely put it there and just, well, I have to have that. Man, that that boldness. That just reading that again mm-hmm. shook me up. I'm sure it did you as you were yeah. hearing. John
2: John is a hero. Uh, I mean, he is a, a missionary hero. Uh, the the kind of old school missionary heroes that that have been in the past. He's one of those, and he's he's working right now
0: today. Mm. I, I just love that. A couple of things from this chapter. His goal was to see as many North Koreans become Christians as possible. Yeah. Just open with that. No he, he agenda. He signed a confession
2: letter saying that. Like, <laughs> like he now they they told him you're gonna have to confess all your crimes. And when they got to that part, he's like,
0: Oh, yeah, I'll sign that. I, that's I, definitely I said, true. No, of course I did. Yeah. And then this, I keep a quote file. I know Joanne does too, and I hear things and think, oh my gosh, that's memorable. This one from this chapter I have in my quote file, fear and faith cannot exist within my heart at the mm. same time. When we live by faith, moment by moment, trusting the Lord, fear has no room in my heart. Now that's Amen. a message from North Korea, all the way to people in America that can live differently by watching the news and seeing what's happening, maybe the decline of our country, the world nations, you know, you know, beating their war drums, it can produce fear, and he said they can't exist together in your heart. Build your faith.
2: I was struck by that as well. And when we did the the VM Radio episode of the, of that conversation, we actually made a, a social media clip out of that quote because I thought, you know, there is so much fear, and there's like you say, so many things around us that are trying to generate fear, trying to make us afraid, and. We, we can't allow them to. We, we have to say, no, I'm choosing faith. And the other thing about John's story that, that I think is really significant is the way that God had prepared him for this. Like like this wasn't his first mission trip. This, this was a, a lifetime of preparation that had gotten him ready for this. Not only his own personal work in China. He had been all over China. He had uh, taken Bibles into China many times. And so he had done his own work but he had also been in close fellowship with some of the great saints of the Chinese church. And some of his close personal friends had been more than 20 years in prison. Wow. Uh, and so he had learned and sat at their feet and studied their stories. And then when it came his time, when he was detained, he he had all of that to bring forward that God had prepared him to go through that time and, and live in faith instead of living in fear because he had prepared himself. And he had seen so many others who had made that choice.
0: Wow. You know, we had the privilege of being a part of uh, a young man's salvation in the Gaza strip. And uh, his, his name is Mohammed. So we always (laughs) say pray for Mohammed uh, in the Gaza strip, which that covers about half the population (laughs) too, when you say that, right? Uh, But he thoroughly loves Jesus. He walks with him daily and he was thrown in prison he would not say the Shahada. And so as they were beating him up, they broke his arm. Mm. And his wife told me that. And, and I said something back, uh, please just tell him we're praying for him. We're really sorry that they beat him up and for his broken arm. He sends back a message through her. And he says this, the only question I must ask myself, Tom, is this, did this conform me more to the image of Christ or not? Mm. Wow that's really the only thing that matters. So, Mm -hmm. Hey, it's just temporary. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm trying to build him up. He's building me up in, (laughs) in my faith. And of course, that's what these saints on the front lines do. And Joanne, you had a chapter that really spoke to you.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, Todd. There's so many great stories in this book, but I have to say one that really spoke to me was um, the story of a fruze. And you, in fact, you even gave her two chapters because mm-hmm. her story is so compelling. But um, <clears throat> she had an encounter with Jesus that was so profound. And I love what she said that she found, um, she wasn't looking for Jesus, but she found him anyway. And mm-hmm. that reminds me of that beautiful verse in Isaiah 65, one that says, I've revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not wow. seek me by a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I. And so this young woman was committed to Islam and yet she felt empty. She was doing all her religious duties, but still felt that void in her life. And so one night she finally says, okay, Allah, I'm making a threat, not not I'm trusting you, but I'm threatening (laughs) you. If you don't give me a sign tonight, I'm going to stay up all night long. And if you do not give me a sign that you are here, then I am going to. How did she word it? She said that I am going to um, turn to a material life and become a sinner. And so will you tell us what happened with the rest of her story.
2: Yeah, this is a, another of my favorite stories that, that's in the book, because like you say, Afruz had been a, a good Muslim. She had done all the things. She'd prayed all the time. She, had, she was following the Quran, and she wasn't happy, and she wasn't satisfied. And like you say, she said, okay, I'm going to stay up all night, and if you show up, Allah, then fine, I'll follow you. And if you don't, then I'm out. I'm, I'm done yeah. with you. And uh, in the middle of that night, she had a vision of a man in white who said to her, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Afruz, who had been trying all of this and working so hard at her Islam, that, that was a powerful message to her. Rest? You, you really, you can give me rest? Mm-hmm. And so uh, she had this vision. She didn't know the Bible. She didn't know Jesus. She just didn't, it was just a message from this man in white. And uh, the next day she was at work uh, and she looked troubled. She looked like her mind was full. Her heart was full. And one of her coworkers said, yeah, Fruz, what, you know, what happened? What's going on? Uh, And she told him the story. You know, I had this, this vision, this man in white said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And her coworker uh, providentially in, in God's providence was a Christian. Mm -hmm. who pulled out a new testament and said i'd like to show you something and Mm -hmm. opened the bible to those very words uh, and she looked at the words, the, the exact words that the man in white had said to her oh. and said, wow, those, those are Jesus' words. That was Jesus who appeared to me, and she has been following Jesus ever since. Um, and, and it has cost her. It, it has cost her uh, pressure on her family. Ultimately, she had to flee Iran because uh, the government was threatening to take away their child, Uh, rather than let them raise her as a Christian. Um, And so ultimately it cost her her homeland. uh, And Mm -hmm. yet that encounter, that that encounter with the man in white, that encounter with Jesus Christ, she's never turned back from that, even amidst all the pressure, amidst all the persecution. It's Mm. never been a thought in her mind to say, oh, maybe I'll go back to Islam. No, no, no. She's been committed from that very day.
1: I love that story. Okay. One part you kind of glossed over that we women love to focus on yeah. is Jesus is a romantic. And <laughs> it turns out that that gentleman that, she, that happened to notice that she was downcast and, and read to her, you know, this verse from Matthew 11, which, of course, she says, where did you find that? What are you reading? It's the Bible. And, of course, she shocked.
2: Which she had never seen a Bible. Wow. Never in her life had she seen a Bible before that day.
1: Oh. I love that. But then tell us the, the romantic part of this story, if you would share that part.
2: <laughs> You're going to have to fill me in. I, <laughs> okay, I
1: remember that. And she, and The man that says this turns out to be the man she marries. Ah, uh, there you go. It's Hallmark in so- Come on. <laughs> This is
0: this is the Farsi version of Hallmark. Here <laughs> we oh, go. Well.
1: Not only does he lead her to faith in Jesus, this gentleman, he first of all wow. he sees her pain, her suffering, her yeah. loneliness, whatever those emotions were that were written on her face. And you know, he's the one that opens her eyes to this man in the white robe is Jesus. And these words are from the Bible. He leads her to faith in Christ. And then I don't know how long of a period of time, but they end up getting married, get married. having that little. Daughter, I think they mm-hmm. believe they named her Emmanuel. God, with
0: yes.
2: That. Which then, yes. when they went to register her birth, uh, yes. the authorities are like, "No, that's not a name. That's not an approved name. You can't use that Christian name. Uh, you need to come up with a Muslim name for your daughter." And so that was the beginning of the pressure. Literally, from the time they tried to get a birth certificate, there was pressure against them and threats against them for simply trying mm-hmm. to raise a Christian daughter in a in a Christian household.
1: Right. Amazing story. And, you know, I love that story on so many levels. First of all, so many people are not, you know, we have loved ones that don't know Jesus yet. Perhaps you're listening and you have someone that you've been praying for decades for their salvation. But according to this passage in Isaiah 65, people don't have to be searching for God, for him to show up just as he did for Afruz. She was not looking for Jesus. She was actually calling out to Allah, but it was Jesus who answered. Right. So there's that part. You know, We can find hope in knowing that Jesus desires that none should perish apart from knowing him. He is the pursuer of our souls. And then the second part is Jesus is for family. Um, perhaps you have someone in your life that you've been praying for a godly mate for, mm-hmm. a godly spouse mm-hmm. for. God sees that too. And look what he did in an Islamic country. Oh. He brought this brand new believer, a believing husband in that dark country. And now they have a child that they've been able to raise in the ways of the word of God to the point that they, as you said, they had to flee that country, but they have not fled their faith in Christ. Mm. So beautiful story on so many levels. I was encouraged by that one.
0: You know, I, I think it, it reminds me, Todd, of, of one that we experienced recently back in Gaza, a young lady that came to faith in Christ on fire for Jesus. And uh, within two weeks of her confessing faith in Christ, she's a school teacher. Uh, Every summer they have to do the Hamas indoctrination camp. So it's kind of like DBS for terrorists is what it is really. And they, they tell them the glories of being a suicide bomber, dress them up, it's terrible. She's been a believer two weeks and she says, Uh, I'm not doing that this year. I'm going to teach the kids about Jesus being the good shepherd and we're going to do crafts and we're going to do this. And she's explaining all that. And I said, okay, I mean, this is a class. This is wow. You may be thrown in prison for this. I mean, you, you could die for this. This is direct order that you're violating. And she just said it so casually. And I'm sure you hear this all the time, Todd. She said, oh, Tom, I crossed that bridge two mm, weeks ago yeah. when yeah. I gave my life that, to Jesus. That
2: decision's already made. Right. So yeah. I,
0: I don't have to think about it every time
2: a new situation comes up because I've already made that decision. Right. And right. it's something, there's a lesson there for us as as Western Christians, because we often think about each situation is like a new thing and we have to make up our mind again. And then we have to do a risk analysis again. And, and like you say, in, in these contexts, they've already done the risk analysis they right. they've right. died to themselves they live to christ and so it's not something that they have to wrestle with and have to really lay awake at night and think about yeah. it. it's like no i i already made that decision i don't have to go back and remake it it's it's done it's made mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. wow wow what a blessing mm-hmm. that is to see that firm faith in someone at such an early age. So I was glad that you needed a little refreshing on that story because there are 40, right? And I know, course, yeah. And then of course, when we write, we give cover names to the people. Right. And so I'll I'll get this on the radio. Tell us about Mohammed in Syria. And I'm thinking, okay, which one is he now? <laughs> because that's not his real name. We didn't have that dynamic, yeah. you know. Yeah. But uh, how, about, how about one story? Can you think of one story that uh, we've gone over a couple that especially moved you
2: One of the stories that moves me every time I read it, and in fact, (laughs) literally, I was reading it. I was reading the proof pages of the book on an airplane, and I'm I come to Imam's story, and I'm starting to weep on the airplane just reading the the proof pages. And I'm like, this what what is wrong with you? You've you've read this, you've told the story, and it it still moves me. Uh, Imam was a drug addict, and uh, but he was also a competitive person when when i first you know we sat down to do the interview and, and i'm working through a translator the very first thing that imam said is i want you to understand i'm very competitive hmm. i said okay yeah no that's great and he's like no 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 you got to understand i'm <laughs> very competitive i, I want to be the best at everything and the, the reality of that is when Imam was a soldier, he wanted to be the best soldier. And he was during the Iran-Iraq war. He was fighting on behalf of Iran. And he told his commander, listen, you send me to the place where I can be martyred within 24 hours or I don't even want to mess with it. Uh, and, and when he was a drug addict, he wanted to be the best drug addict. You know, he yeah. wanted to use every single drug and he wanted to use more drugs than anyone else was using. And when he was a thief he wanted to be the best thief. He wanted to steal more than anyone else was stealing. And if someone else tried to steal something and got caught, then he wanted to go in and steal that thing just to show that he was a better thief than they were, that that he could get away with it. So he's like, I want you to understand I'm very competitive. I'm like, okay, okay, I understand you're competitive. (laughs) But what has happened is God has gotten a hold of him and God miraculously rescued him from drug addiction. Uh, to the point that literally he had an encounter with Jesus uh, and and he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, I knew Jesus was in the room with me, Mm -hmm. but I was unworthy to see him. I was so dirty and so evil. I didn't deserve to look at Jesus. So I just, I sat there with my eyes closed because I didn't deserve to see him, but I knew he was there. I could feel his presence in that room and from that moment forward, Imam has never had the temptation to use drugs. Mm. Um, And he, he talked about that. He said, actually, when they arrested him, they put him in a section of the prison with all the drug addicts because they thought, Oh, he's just going to get sucked back into addiction. Nobody ever just gives up drugs, you know? And he's like, even amongst all the drug addicts and they're using drugs right in front of me. It wasn't a temptation to be, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel any draw to that. Um, And, you know, that competitive fire, Jesus has turned that to now, Imam says, I want to be the best disciple. Mm -hmm. I want to be the best evangelist that Jesus has ever had. And to the point that if he has a conversation with someone, if he meets someone, he assumes that they're ready to hear the gospel because why else would God have brought them across his path? Because he's committed to tell every single person that he meets the gospel. He's committed to tell them about Christ. And you know, you do that in the Islamic Republic of Iran and pretty soon you're That's going right. to go to jail. And, right, and he yeah. has been to jail. Um, one of the stories, and I tell it in the book, is, is he was taken to the police station. He was arrested. That They were doing evangelism. He was arrested. They took him to the police station and they kind of handcuffed him on a bench right next to these two hardened criminals, actual murderers uh, that were due to be executed. They were getting ready to be executed. And he sits there beside them and his assumption is well they must be ready to hear the gospel because why else would God have put me next to these guys and so he shares the gospel and leads these two men to faith in Christ
1: mm.
2: and after 15 minutes the the policeman comes and says you know Iman you have been nice to us you have been kind you haven't caused trouble for us we're just going to let you go we're we're just going to let you go well these two hardened murderers are weeping And Iman is weeping and he they they unhandcuff him and and these guys are all hugging each other. And the policeman's just looking at them like Mm -hmm. you've been sitting here for 15 minutes and you act like these are your long lost relatives. What (laughs) is going on here? Right. And but that that was it. He had 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. He led these two men to faith and then they let him go. And he walked out of there. Those men were subsequently executed, but they were executed to an eternity with Christ Mm. instead of an eternal damnation. And it was all because Iman was in that police station for 15 minutes, handcuffed Mm. next to them. Mm. And that's the kind of evangelist he is, that that competitive fire to say, you know what? I, I was the best drug addict. I was the best soldier. I was the best thief. Now I'm going to be the best disciple maker. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the best evangelist. And mm-hmm. uh, he has been oppressed. Mm-hmm. He has been sent to prison, uh, but he is committed to serving Christ no matter the cost uh, in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Wow. wow.
1: Talk about not being ashamed of the God right. of Christ Amen. and making the best of, or the most of every opportunity. How many times do we sit next to someone whose God's heart has prepared that's right. to receive the gospel but we have not shared it yeah i mean yeah oh, that is convicting you know
0: what todd one of the things our leaders for uncharted in the middle east will say when they lead someone of faith in christ and typically it's muslims you're like a puzzle piece that's been needed in the body of mm. christ you have gifts and talents that the lord just gave you at salvation and you're needed and so i think of the story that farid told us where he sent me a uh, communication from Syria saying that this man had, um, he had 31 threats against his life. And so I said something back, 31, like, are you just saying that? Like, you know, we have a bunch and he goes, no, 31. And I said, how do you have 31? He wrote them on a piece of paper and not tacked them to my door. And this is how I'm gonna kill you. This is what I'm gonna do to your wife. And he said to me, he said, he take away the, the death and the threats and all that. This man actually is a beautiful writer. He, he, he is creative in his way. He could have just said, we're going to cut your head off. He doesn't say that. He just goes into detail. Well, this man ends up coming to faith in Christ. And you know what God used him to do? To write some of the first hymns that we know for Alawite believers. Wow. And they were beautiful. And so any of those things, he was competitive. Yep. Uh, this guy was a writer and God can use it for his glory. Right. Wow. wow. And
2: such a lesson for us. I, I mean, even you and I, we, we know that God has given us talents that that other people don't think like we do. They, they don't. And they're probably thankful that they don't think like we do. But. <laughs> But God has equipped us to be able to do this work and to be able to tell these stories and meet these people. And I, you know, I'm so thankful for that. And I, my encouragement to everybody listening and watching is you have those things, too. God has given you some of those gifts and some of those talents, and, and he has a spot. I love the analogy of the puzzle piece. He's got mm-hmm. a place for you to use all those gifts and talents. You just got to find it. That's so true.
0: Absolutely. That's so true. Hey, as you look at the global scene, and I know you and Voice of the Martyrs are on Mm -hmm. top of this, by the way, all your communications, your magazines, everything you do is first class. And just like your book takes us right into the heart of it to where we can understand and relate. What are some of the countries right now that you're concerned about becoming more radical and more hostile toward followers of Christ?
2: You know, there's there's a couple of countries that particularly concern me. One is China. Uh, in the last five years, we have seen dramatic increase in persecution in China. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what we used to talk about China and we would say, well, in, in this province over here, there's a lot of persecution. But, hey, look over here in this province, there's the church is yeah. operating without yeah. a lot of interference. That's not true anymore. the The, the persecution now is driven at the national level. It is actually driven, I believe, by Xi Jinping himself. Um, He wants to control the people. He wants to control religious expression. uh, And so that is affecting Christians all over China to the point that we have uh, literally heard from local Christians that there are uh, so-called trainers sent out from Beijing to individual provinces or individual cities uh, to train the local police on how to control religious expression. Uh, and the, the local Christians know when those trainers from Beijing show up, things are going to get worse for them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about to get harder. It's about to get harsher uh, against the church. So China is one I would directly point to. Uh, another one that is not on a lot of people's maps, but, but really needs to be, is northern Mozambique. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is a Islamic insurgency happening in Northern Mozambique uh, and they are specifically targeting Christians and pastors and church leaders Mm -hmm. uh, as they go. In some cases they will go into a village and say, everyone needs to come out right now. And they will begin to ask, are you a Christian or are you a Muslim? Oh, you're a Muslim. Okay. uh, Recite the Shahada. And if you're a Christian, oftentimes execution is almost instantaneous. Mm -hmm. Um, And Uh, more than the the last number I heard more than 800,000 people displaced by that violence. Many of them are Christians. There are brothers and sisters. Um, And yet, It's not a situation that you're going to see on the evening news. It's not something that that the world is really paying attention to or talking about. Uh, But so many of our brothers and sisters are suffering because of that. Mm -hmm. A third country, let me mention, is Eritrea. And it's another one that's kind of not on a lot of people's radars. Uh, It is very much on my heart. I had the chance to visit Eritrea way back now, almost 20 years ago, and uh, met some of the pastors, met some of the, the leaders in the church there, Some of those pastors that I met have now been in prison more than 17 years uh, simply for leading God's people, Mm -hmm. simply for being a follower of Christ and uh, refusing to bow to the mandates of the government there. And so uh, just recently there was like 21 more people arrested. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about Eritrea that, that is so hard for us to comprehend as Westerners is, not a single one of those Christians has ever even been charged with a crime, hmm. uh, let alone had a lawyer or had a trial or been sentenced to, okay, you know, you're going to serve 10 years in prison. No, none of that. That has never happened. They just get arrested they disappear into the prison system, and then they come out. Maybe it's weeks later, maybe it's months later. Uh, in the case of Pastor Haile Naieske, one of the pastors that that I met when I was there, it's now been more than 17 years, wow. uh, and he is still in prison, and there's no there's no release date, there's no sentence that you're trying to endure. It's just, you know, you're in prison, and, and you don't know when or if or ever you'll get out. And uh, just recently, Pastor Haile's is on my heart lately because I just got a picture recently of uh, his daughter. His family has had to flee Eritrea. His daughter recently graduated from university. Um, And, you know, a great picture of her in in all the academic regalia and and looking beautiful and looking proud. But her father wasn't there. Her her dad couldn't be there for that momentous occasion. And it's yeah. another occasion that that he hasn't been able to be there for mm. uh, because he's been in prison in Eritrea for all these years. And uh, when I think of him, when I think of so many other uh, imprisoned pastors around the world, imprisoned Christians around the world, uh, my heart aches for them, uh, but also for their families, for the wives and the husbands and the sons and the daughters that are enduring yeah. that loss and enduring that that absence, that separation. And in this case, you know, it's another great milestone in a life that we can't celebrate with dad because he's still in prison. And so uh, Eritrea is another country that Mm. I would sort of raise to people's consciousness and encourage you to pray for Christians there.
0: Amen. And you know what you, and we've noticed this too. Uh, People know about China, but I like the subtle difference that you brought out. It it was isolated. Now it's nationally mandated the Mm -hmm. persecution we know about Iran. We know about Middle East. Boy, that'll grab headlines if, if someone shot and killed. In Africa, we have examples, stories of entire villages being wiped out. It just doesn't seem to grab the headlines. It's heartbreaking. But thank you for raising that banner and telling those stories because We all need to know. We all need to know. We We need need to be praying for our brothers and sisters
1: there. In fact, this is gosh, this has been an incredible conversation. And we could do this all day. The story for (laughs) endless because God is continually writing new ones. Um, But as we close our time together, Todd, would you please pray for those that are in danger, that are in prison, that are in persecution? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we don't see those people, but Every soul is seen by Jesus, and we know they're not alone because God promises that, that no matter where we go, we cannot flee from his presence. And I think of this gentleman, this pastor, this wonderful man that's been in prison for 17 years, missing all of his daughter's life. Um, and yet the reward that he will have in, one, in heaven one day mm-hmm. will be astounding. And when we meet him, he is our brother. When we meet him in heaven, um, we'll get to hear the rest of the story and the eternal ro- reward that he's earning now. Right. But you're right. We need to pray for these dear people and their families who are suffering um, and not knowing what's happening to their loved one. Yeah. Are they being beaten? Are they being yeah. fed? You know, what? what is life like for them in prison? We do know he is certainly making an impact for the kingdom oh, there. Gosh. Certainly we will meet more people in heaven that are there because he is in prison. Amen. But that doesn't mean it's easy. The cost is steep.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. is. Let's pray. pray. Let's yeah. pray together. Thank you, Father. We are so thankful for this conversation. We're thankful for the people who are listening, the people who are watching, who who will join us in this prayer. Mm -hmm. And Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering because of your name. And I, uh, I think of Pastor Hile right now, Lord, in prison in Eritrea. Lord, 17 years is a long time. It's a lot for him to endure. It's a lot of milestones that his family has been apart from him, that he's missed out on. <sighs> Lord, we pray that you will redeem those years for him and for his family. Jesus. I pray, Lord, right now that you would just supernaturally let him know that he's not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Let him know that, that we remember him, that we are lifting him up, <laughs> that we are praying for him. Lord, I think of Pastor Wang Yi in prison in China. I think of so many others who are in prison simply because they say, I love Jesus. Right. I will follow Jesus. Even if my government says I can't, even if somebody has a gun to my head, I will follow Jesus. I will do what he has asked me to do. Lord, we pray for them right now that, that mm-hmm. they would know your presence, Yes, Jesus. That, that you would be with them. Lord, the enemy will lie to them. I pray that they would know your truth, that they would know you love them, that they would know that they stand strong for eternity uh, because of your grace and because of your will. Mm. Lord, I pray for churches that are being attacked and uh, just, Lord, help Mm. your body to stand strong. Lord, I pray for those who are trying to forgive um, persecution is not easy and it's easy to say, to tell the story with the happy ending and think that all the stories have happy endings. Lord, we know some of them are, are horrible endings, at least on this earth. And Lord, we pray for those who are struggling through that, that awfulness right now. Give them your presence. Give them your grace. Give them discernment. Lord, supernaturally give them the power to love their enemies You have called us to do that, but we know, Lord, in our own strength, we can't. We can't do that. Empower them, Lord. Empower them through the Holy Spirit to love their enemies, to forgive those who persecute them. And Lord, even to witness for you in the face of persecution, in the face of hardship, Father, I pray that their stories will inspire us, that that we will live more boldly, Mm -hmm. that we will be more ready to tell the people that we cross paths with about Jesus Christ, about his love, Mm -hmm. about his forgiveness. Uh, Lord, allow us to be witnesses for you in in the same way that our brothers and sisters in hostile and restricted nations are being witnesses for you today. Lord, inspire us and encourage us and remind us that we are united with your body around the world. We are part of them. They are our family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Boy, it's been...
0: uh... It's been a treasure having you, Joanne. Sure, listeners the book again. Your yeah. book.
1: Yes, friends, get this book if you've not read it. When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days. I have to look at it this way to read the rest. 40 Days <laughs> on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. And, you know, we may not face persecution here in America, though it could be coming. Um, but there's so many of our brothers and sisters around the globe are suffering and persecution. And we That's want right. to stand with them. And one way we can do that is by understanding their story, seeing what they've walked through and be encouraged and challenged by them. So beautiful book, Todd, thank you so much for writing it. Um, Tom and I were certainly encouraged by it. We That's know right. our listeners will be too.
0: Todd, well, your dear friend, thank you for all of our times together. Yeah. We've got to get up and see you soon. You we, hope. To. <laughs> <laughs> we would love that. Thank you for writing this outstanding book, Christian Book of the Year. Wow, that is amazing. And again, God's hands on it, inspiring people to action. That's what's so exciting about it. Yeah,
2: it's it's my blessing to be able to tell these stories. Like these people that I've met are heroes to me. So to get to tell their stories and get to kind of encourage people to know mm-hmm. them, that's a great blessing for me. And I always love connecting with you guys. So thank you so much for having me.
0: No, oh, thank you. Well, listen. So you are the voice of the martyrs announcer. You're the voice of the voice of the martyrs. Right. But mm-hmm. I called you the other day, and you were probably in a meeting or whatever. And I heard your actual title uh, at Voice of the Martyrs. T- tell everybody what your <laughs> title is. I love this title,
2: uh, Chief of Media Relations and Message Integration. So <laughs> I love that. And we need to have better titles.
1: That's so creative. <laughs> very descriptive
0: really, uh, yeah
2: so i i do interviews like this one and then the the message integration part of my title is uh, hopefully all of us at VOM are singing out of the same hymn book and, and i'm great. trying to i'm trying to help make that happen so that that's what message integration means
0: i love that that's you're great, great at that. you like, really I'm are sure yeah so you're living the dream telling the stories about some of the most choice saints on the face of the earth Amen. and you know Joanna and i think about this in heaven one day Uh, believers sitting around sharing their story. Now we know we're going to have full knowledge, but I wonder if there'll be like a big humongous movie screen and someone will get up and say, well, I'm the guy that they lowered through the roof to Jesus and he healed, you know, Oh, I love that story. Some of these stories, a lot of people will not know about until they get to heaven and, and find out who these martyrs are, these brothers and sisters that are, are inspiring to us, inspiring here inspiring in heaven so thank you for telling these stories it's been a privilege thank you it
2: has been a privilege for me as well thank you guys for having me okay god bless you. you.
1: you